NobleKnight.com is your one-stop shop for all things role-playing, board, wargaming, and collectible card games. Noble Knight Games is committed to providing you with the best possible selection of new and used products with a selection of over 100,000. Everything on the site is in stock and ready to ship to you worldwide. Discounts are available, and you can expect reasonable prices for rare items. You can even sell or trade your stuff to them. NobleKnight.com, where out of print is available again. Throughout the ages, there have been heroes and warriors who have embarked on quests to save faraway lands and free the people from would-be conquerors. With dice and not a lot of common sense in various role-playing games. Today, our legends come from the halls of This Week in Geek, an unlikely group of nerdy adventurers armed with some pretty stupid ideas and a horseshoe up their butts come together to save the day in These Warriors Are Terrible! Seriously, these are the guys we're going to go with? Welcome back to These Warriors Are Terrible. Tonight, well, rather today, I have a very special guest, for this is not a podcast episode. I have with me Kevin Sambita, uh, whose name you might know, but you will probably more likely know uh, his work, that of the Rifts RPG, which is known, of course, for Robotech. And say hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, Kevin, as I understand, you have some really great news for us today. As uh, recently, you got you uh, went on your you and your group went on Kickstarter, and you guys got uh, your first Robotech uh, RPG Tactics, your first actual miniatures game up and running. That that is absolutely correct. Yeah, we were uh, pretty excited about that, and, and didn't know where it would go. It was our first. Uh, it was Palladium Books' first endeavor on uh, Kickstarter, although uh, working with the Ninja Division guys who are the gentlemen from uh, um, Cypher Studios and Soda Pop Miniatures, uh, they have had some experience with Kickstarter. But yeah, it, it was uh, it was a wild ride, man, and we did great. Excellent. So what made you want to go into miniatures? Because Rifts has an incredible uh, lineage to it. Because I uh, Rifts is one of the first uh, people, uh, one of the first RPG groups, at least uh, Palladium Books has, for doing uh, adaptations of a lot of the more classic, like just classic uh, adapting television shows and things like that that people are that people know, as opposed to doing their own continuity. What made you finally decide to do miniatures? Well, yeah, um, I, I'm very much a a role playing game guy. Uh, I got into role playing early on in the '80s and. Uh, when I started Palladium Books, you're right. We did all kinds of things. Uh, Robotech was was one of our licenses. Justice Machine, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, and then Rifts was our 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 own creation and our in our biggest selling game. And uh, I stayed focused on role playing for uh, gosh, 32 years now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, why we changed or, or why we thought about doing. Uh, a game that, that departed from that, and there's actually elements of the role-playing game, um, still in our Robotech RPG tactics. But, uh, the main reason was our, our fans. Our fans came to us, um, and, and were asking over and over and over for us to do, uh, Robotech, uh, game pieces and, and, and maybe even a tabletop game. And my initial reaction was, sorry, we do role-playing games. Mm-hmm. But we got such a big feedback um, 
and a couple of, of gents, I think, pretty much spearheaded um, sort of a campaign to get us to reconsider that position, one of them being Tom Roach. And uh, they started conversations on our forums at the Palladium website and then uh, just launched another campaign on the Palladium Facebook page. And, uh, you know, we got hundreds and hundreds of people saying, yeah, we'd love to see this for, for Robotech in particular. And, and possibly uh, Riffs as well. Um, but the focus was Robotech, because these guys were Robotech fans. And, you know, it got me thinking about it. And there were so many people interested. So I started to research the market and saw that um, war games and tabletop games and uh, miniatures were more popular than they've been in years mm. uh, and, and growing. And we said... What the heck? Let's let's see if we can secure the rights from Harmony Gold, um, the people who own the uh, Robotech IP, mm-hmm. and uh, we got those rights. And then we started looking into, um, you know, doing doing Robotech figures. And then what happened? What really what the, the big the big difference is as we we're looking for for partners and sculptors and and people to help us develop this project. Um, we got in touch with John Kadiche of uh, Soda Pop Miniatures, and that their expertise enabled us to take it to a whole nother level. And, and, and so, so that's how that's how that all happened. Because originally we were just thinking, yeah, we'll just do a bunch of uh, uh, figures mm-hmm. for it, and, and, and role players and collectors could could find them and, and, and have them for their games. And then once we had other people enter the picture who had much more um, background in uh, developing entire game systems and mass producing things, uh, boom! You know that that that's we were off to the races. <laughs> well, what do you feel uh, was holding you back initially from from really uh, going into this? Uh, from developing the miniatures, like what was for you personally? What was the uh, thing that kind of held you back from not wanting to d- delve into miniatures and making a larger miniature game? Uh, it, it was just really out of our wheelhouse of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I I know how to design every game uh, on the planet. And uh, tabletop games, war or playing uh, war games, um, you know, they're just out of our our range of experience. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we just sat back and, and thought, well, we'll just do figures. Yeah. And it, once we ran into, um, you know, people who, uh, could help us, you know, create a game that would be good. You know, one of the things for Palladium, we have this reputation for, uh, great fun products. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to produce a piece of crap or, or a game that was, you know, so so, mm. and once we got people that we felt we could work with, who could do, uh, you know, a great game, then that just changed everything. <laughs> and have you noticed since the Kickstarter comple- uh, was completed that a lot there's been a lot more attention to some of your older supplements like the old Rifts lines as well as After the Bomb, Ninja Turtles, and all that stuff. Have you found that people have started getting much more invested in some of your other products? Oh uh, well, you know. <laughs> Once we see how, how this goes, um, you know, we'll consider doing, you know, other, uh, lines that include the, uh, 
you know, I think they go with figures or, or yeah. the, uh, the, uh, RPG tactic mm-hmm. game roles. Um, right now our focus still remains, you know, role playing. That's, mm. that's, you know, our, our bread and butter and what we of know. Of. But yeah, we're open to everything, you know, <laughs> um, we've always heck with riffs. We always wanted to see that go, you know, anywheres and everywheres. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, when, when Jerry Bruckheimer films contacted us and said, Hey, you know, let, let's cut a movie option deal with the Disney company. We were thrilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, those kind of things are, are totally out of our, our hands. So, uh, that's been just lingering out there for like the last 11 years. Um, but yeah, well, we, we consider everything, you know, we, uh, we try not to box ourselves into, um, you know, any, any kind of pigeonhole. Um, we'll go wherever our imaginations take us. So we'll consider anything. And as far as, uh, you know, where this may, may take the rest of our game lines, you know, that's, that's yet to be seen, but yeah, it's certainly, uh, all this notoriety and the excitement of doing this kind of a new game. Um, it's got us thinking about all kinds of different possibilities and I'm sure our fans as well. Well, speaking myself personally, just as a fan of Robotech and Macross, either through miniatures or through the, uh, the RPG system itself, I've always been curious to see whether you guys were willing to go further along into the future of what, well, Macross with things like Macross Plus and Frontier and things like that. Have you ever wanted to go in and look at some of the more advanced mechs that the, like there's a, cause I know there's a bit of a division between people who know Robotech from the eighties and people who know, uh, Macross now. Have you ever wanted to try and bridge that gap a little more and kind of see how um, and try and adapt more into Robotech uh, through your RPG? Yeah, yeah, we we would love to, and, and we've thought about it many times. But there's all kinds of uh, you know different legal issues. Uh, I, I'm really not sure on exactly what the deal is between um, Robotech and Macross and the IP holders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I know there, there's some issues. At one point, we had done in the 90s, we had done uh, Macross 2. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was funny, when our license ended for, for that property, like a year later, there was all kinds of controversy and lawsuits over whether the people we had licensed it from actually had the rights to, to do so. And, you know, thankfully, Palladium itself never got into any trouble. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's weird. The whole legality of Macross and who owns what rights and in what countries um, is is pretty uh, complex and scary, I think. <laughs> so so, so. You know, we've got the rights to Robotech through Harmony Gold, and we've just mainly been focusing on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you ever wanted to do, like, your own variant uh, variant rules for Robotech? Like, just create your own work within that continuity? Like your own little side story uh, wars that don't never actually happen within the show itself. Well, that's that's the beauty of of role playing, and to a somewhat lesser degree, uh, Robotech RPG Tactics. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, you can do exactly that. I mean, not not to publish and share of the world, okay, necessarily, but um, everyone who plays those games, that's exactly what we do: is create our own little stories within that that world setting. So it, it's it's yeah, that's a blast. <laughs> now, I've been looking up the opinion of a lot of Riff's books, and I've 
as I've kind of gone through the Riffs books myself, I have to admit it's almost a little daunting looking at some of the just how extensive Riffs can get. And there's sort of a and I've said this before that in Riffs you can have a leprechaun that'll pilot a giant robot fighting a griffin. <laughs> and that's perfectly normal in Riffs as I've come to understand it. Yes. Um how do you feel about creating a product like that? Because there's so many RPGs now that try so hard to take themselves seriously and to be taken seriously because of just the public perception of pen and paper RPGs. How do you feel when you know you kind of have that, that little niche where it's like, no, I've got a leprechaun riding a giant robot. I, I know who I am kind of thing. I, I love it. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things that I, that I, always enjoyed with role-playing games and I think the thing that made me fall in love with role-playing games to begin with is the fact that you are truly only limited by your imagination and, and Rifts was basically the culmination of people telling me you can't put that in a role-playing game <laughs> yeah and, and, and so I, I finally sat back and said I'm going to create a plausible world setting in which anything can happen. And it's cool because it's set up where, yes, there are something like 90 different uh, riffs, source books, and world books. Uh, and that can be daunting for some people looking at the world saying, you know, well, where do I start? Mm -hmm. to, to which I say, by the way, start anywhere. Start with whatever looks most exciting and interesting for you. And then you know, just run with it. And wherever your stories end up taking you, that's where you go next. Uh, and, and you may not even end up buying more than you know, five books uh, mm -hmm. because your campaign takes place in this particular area of the world or follows this kind of line of stories. And the same thing with the outrageous factor. Yes, you could have, arguably, a, a leprechaun piloting a giant robot fighting a griffin or a dragon or demons from mm -hmm. hell, quite literally from the pits of hell. And, but, maybe it doesn't. Maybe your stories are smaller, or maybe your stories focus on more of the science fiction element, or more of the fantasy element, or mm -hmm. or the horror, or the post-apocalyptic, or adventure. Uh, and again, that's the beauty of role-playing in general, but is especially the beauty of riffs, is that anything is, is possible, and you can take that anywhere. But there are certain constraints and, and limitations within that broad world. But yeah, I love the idea that you can just do anything you want, that you can, you can go to different worlds and, and earth itself is, is alien or more alien than, than a hundred different alien planets. And yet there's that familiarity of places and past history and, and certain names and ideas. And, and then you can use the rifts to travel to other worlds if you want to, or other dimensions. And yeah, it, it's it's truly epic, and and I love it. Uh, I know some people feel a little uh, daunted by it, I guess, uh, but but I love it, and I love the fact that you really can do pretty much anything if you have the desire to do so. Well, one thing I hear from a lot of people who are looking to get into pen and paper RPGs, and you, it's good, it's good that you mentioned how some people find it daunting. 
if you had that opportunity to talk to someone who kind of would look at your rack of products, see just the, the 90 or so some odd books that you have out there now, and they were daunted by it, what would you say to them to help get them in? Like, what do you say to people you meet who, who are like, oh, that sounds interesting, but I don't, like, the universe sounds too big and things like that, or I don't think I'm smart enough to understand the rules. What do you say to them when you have that situation? Yeah, it really bothers me when, when, when people say, um, I don't think I'm smart enough for the rules or it looks too complex. And I don't mean in a bothers me in a what are you talking about way. It, it, it bothers me in that I, I, having grown up during the era of role playing when it was at its height, it makes me sad that people have kind of lost touch with role playing. I think they're so used to to the hard and fast and linear rules of video games and card games and board games and war games that they see something like a role-playing game and they go, wow, what is this? It, it's funny to me because it's almost like role-playing is, is brand new again, even though it's been around for like, you know, 35 or 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're really interested in riffs, I, I pretty much tell them, to not worry about how vast the world is because just like characters in a movie or a comic book or a novel, you may have that big sweeping world background uh, or, or universe of a background or what we in fact call our megaverse. Mm-hmm. Ultimately the story is about your player group and wherever they are. So, you know, just like an establishment shot on, on a TV show in a movie, you might see that giant city or an entire planet, um, but then it ultimately zooms in to our main characters. And that's who you are. So wherever you want to start and whatever subject matter or location or idea sounds most appealing to you, that's a great place to start. For people who still feel that it's maybe too sweeping or are brand new to role-playing, um, I often suggest they try our Dead Rain the zombie apocalypse game or um, Robotech, the role-playing game, because those settings are, I think, much more familiar and, and easier to pick up than something like Rifts where anything is possible and we have this, you know, sweeping mega story um, and so many different elements. Dead Rain and Robotech are much more narrow and limited uh in linear storylines and dead rain is great because it's just so visceral and the rules are, are just because of the setting and you're fighting zombies. It is just, I think so intuitive and people pick it up so quick and easy uh, and have a blast with it. Then they're good to go because one of the things about the palladium books game system is that the core rules, the fundamental rules are the same in all of our games. There are variations and tweaks and, add-on rules, depending on what the setting is, um, to accommodate all the different elements of that particular environment. So, like, superheroes will have all kinds of superpowers and, and approach things somewhat differently. But all the basic rules, combat, how skills work, um, experience levels, all that jazz, um, are all the same in all of our games. So once you learn one game, you can play any of our stuff. And I think something like the Dead Rain zombie game or Robotech, which is a high-tech, you know, war game in the sense of, you know, it, it's about an intergalactic war. 
I, I think people are able to settle in on that sooner or easier. And, and then once they've got a good feel for the basic game system and have fun playing, you know, one of the, the less complex world settings, they can easily then go into the more sweeping, you know, game settings and, and have a blast with it. Well, um, what do you think personally? Um, well, there's um, something I've noticed now, especially with the advent of the internet, that a lot of people are turning to piracy with uh, a lot of books, and you especially with Rifts have a very large RPG line behind you. Do you ever worry about the fact that people might just go and pirate your supplements and you never see a cent of that? Or do you feel that because of your product, you feel that they will turn around and buy it, even though they might pirate the PDS initially? Um, you know, yes and no. Um, you know, these days, the way the Internet is uh, and the availability of really everything, uh, you just have to expect that comes with the territory. Um, it's a problem in the sense that if everyone does that, then um, we're in trouble because – you know, I need to pay my artists, my writers, and, you know, pay for, uh, all the other incidental and structural things that people don't even think about, uh, the building rent, uh, heat and electricity and, you know, staff, you know, that's all part of the cost of, of any product we do is all that infrastructure. Uh, now the good news is we have, uh, Sorry, I don't know if you heard that noise in there. Um, uh, but anyways, uh, you know, as long as we have fans who support us and, and actually do buy our books, um, you know, we're, we're in pretty good shape. We're still okay. And, um, yeah, piracy is always a concern. But, you know, so far, so good. And uh, with the support of our fans who uh, do buy our, our products, uh, we'll be fine. Okay. Well, I think you guys especially have seen a lot of support from the community because of uh, your successful Kickstarter. Uh, you mentioned earlier how you're starting to notice that there's a bit of a gen – now finally we're starting to see the second generation of RPG gamers. Because back in the day, you had a lot of people who would just visit their local stores, play like the same kind of adventure modules. Now you um, – I think I myself personally am starting to see there's a bit of a generational gap now where kids who are now going through university and getting into it – don't know about some of the older products and things like that. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, it's interesting. And in fact, there's, there's been a lot of speculation in uh, the gaming industry as to why that's happened. Because it's not just us, of course. It's mm -hmm. role-playing in general. And, and I think what happened was uh, in the 90s, you had an explosion of different kind of mediums, um, collectible card games, CCGs, uh Board games got a resurgence. Of course, the continuing growth and, and uh, explosion of video games, uh, massively online role-playing games, uh, uh, you know, all that uh, contributed to, I think, people looking to those new and exciting things and kind of putting role-playing on the side. One of the other difficulties role-playing also has is that, you know, they are pretty complex. I mean, you're talking about reading a rule book and not a pamphlet. I mean, a big-ass you know, book. Uh, and there, there's a lot to it. So so it, I think the point of entry is a little steeper 
than, say, picking up a board game or a war game or certainly a, a, a card game. And, and that has, has caused some, some problems. But, yeah, it, it's interesting. We really are seeing a huge influx of, of uh People who played back in the 80s and the 90s getting back into it, we're seeing a, a huge influx of new people who, uh, their, their first generation parents are introducing them to the games. But we're also seeing a lot of just new people who are discovering role playing games for, for the first time. And that's very cool. And I'm not sure exactly where or why or how that, that's happening. Um, other than the fact that, you know, role-playing games are such a unique type of game and, 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 and play that there's just nothing like it. And one piece, once people realize that, you know, one of the cool things of role-playing is that the players, they don't have to know the rules inside and out. They just have to know the character and know the basics. It's really the game master who has to do all the work and know the rules well. And then, of course, you have the rule books and the source books to refer to. So, you know, once they realize that uh, really only one guy has to know the rules really well, um, and the rest of it's all about story and character, yeah, I think people really get into that. And there's just still no other game, um, not, not electronically, not, you know, physical games, pen and paper games. There's nothing that captures the imagination and, and the role-playing gaming storytelling experience, like, like role-playing games. Um, as one of the first people to really bring forward uh, different intellectual properties into an RPG scenario, I've noticed that there's a lot more now of that occurrence, like with Game of Thrones getting an RPG system, Mistborn, uh, Dresden Files, Supernatural, and all those others. How do you feel as considering... Uh, the Rifts and Paladin books were kind of one of the first guys to really do it. How do you feel now seeing this uh, new crop of kids uh, following in your footsteps, so to speak? Oh, I mean, it's cool whenever I see people, you know, emulate anything we've done. Well, I can't really take the credit I think you're giving me for, uh, you know, licensing. A lot of people uh, since day one have, have licensed mm-hmm. different properties. I, I think Palladium sticks out only because... You know, we've had some some super successful ones with Ninja Turtles and Robotech. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what is if you had um, a me uh, like a particular IP or an intellectual idea? I know with Rifts you're kind of left limitless. Is there any particular IP out there that you wish you could adapt that you might otherwise not have the chance to? Excluding ones, of course, like Robotech and the additional Macross and things like that. But is there one that you haven't ever had the chance to get a shot at that you wish you did? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm a comic book guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have loved to have been able to uh, just run wild with uh, uh, a Marvel superhero game. Mm-hmm. Or better yet, a Marvel and DC superhero game. That would have been sweet as hell. <laughs> and, and for years, I, I went after um, Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, that would have been pretty sweet. Although, you know, one of the problems you run into, Mike, with, with a license yeah. is it's never that, that panacea you, you want it to be. There, there's always all kinds of restrictions and sometimes weird stuff that you have to, to deal with. Uh, in many cases, there are things that you want to extrapolate upon, but you may not be allowed to because they have plans to do it in a future movie or TV series or or novelizations or something. And 
Um, your hands can get pretty tied sometimes. Um, so licensing it can, can be a little tricky. We've been really lucky in that we've worked with a couple of really great, actually uh, the three or four licenses we've done mm-hmm. years, we've had really good relationships with our licensors and um, the Ninja Turtle guys were like the best ever mm-hmm. uh, to work with. Um, they, they really got what we were doing and really got out of our way and let us just run with it. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the two I think I, I would love love to do um you know it, when you do a license i've always felt there, there's three reasons to do a license and, and and if you can if any one of these are, are are part of that license it's worth doing and i've been fortunate because in in every case uh, it's been all three and those reasons are one that property is going to make you a truckload of money mm-hmm. if you do it right two It'll open new doors and avenues for you. And three, you personally love that property. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, if you can get any one of those, you're doing good. If you can get all three, you're doing great. And, and we've been very fortunate in that every property we've gotten, we've been a fan of. We love it. It's made us money, and it's opened up doors for us. Okay. You mentioned doing it right. Um, a lot of people who get into RPGs, of course, are most familiar, become most familiar with the D20 system just because it's so ubiquitous. Um, but now, I think more than ever, the, well, maybe perhaps once again, there's a lot of diversity starting to be seen about different dice variants and D systems and things like that. What do you think is the essence to finding the right rule system to match um, the, the property that you adapted? Well, well that's always tricky. Um, especially when it comes to licensing, because I, I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, gee, this, this property, whatever it is, Marvel superheroes, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, whatever the heck it is, they think that the name alone is going to bring in everybody. And you really have to think about the property. You really have to think about your audience and, and what you can do with it. Uh, for example, there have been properties that we've thought about, like Conan the Barbarian and mm-hmm. some other things. And the problem with, with some things, like Tarzan, the role-playing game, what can you really do with it that's new and different and exciting uh, and that captures people's imaginations and, more importantly, allows them to do a lot of different things? If you if you get a character like, like Tarzan or Indiana Jones or Conan the Barbarian, um, or any one type of superhero, you know, every player is going to want to play that guy. Mm-hmm. And so what's left for everyone else? The sidekick? Mm-hmm. That's not exactly fun or exciting uh, for most people. On top of that, especially for role-playing games, and I think this is probably true of a lot of video games as well, especially MMOs, you've got to have a deep, rich world where they have plenty of opportunities for adventure and creating dynamic, cool characters that are just as cool as that maybe major hero in, in the license and really be able to go out and, and, and have all kinds of great adventures and, and, and opportunities. And if you don't have that, you know, the game can't go anywhere. And then as far as figuring out the game mechanics, you know, that, that's always tricky because it's a question of personal taste. And, and again, getting into role-playing specifically, the beauty of role-playing is that it's so flexible that you can tweak and adjust the rules 
any way you want as a, as a player or game master to suit your own personal taste, you know, with house rules and that kind of thing. So when you're designing a property, you have to try to put your own biases aside as best you can and try to think about what game mechanics and what elements really capture that property and bring it to life. Um, you know, we ran into that with, uh, Robotech RPG tactics. Um, when the game comes out, people see certain terms and certain elements that are, are similar to the role-playing game. But for the most part, we looked at that and said, this doesn't have to be the role-playing game at all, really. We need to make this Robotech. Mm-hmm. And we really approached the whole design of Robotech RPG Tactics as a whole new game. Uh, you know, everything was on the table. Uh, everything was considered. And, and our goal was... How do we adapt Robotech into this different medium and, and make it work? And that's always fun and a challenge as a game, as a game designer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the meat. <clears throat> Excuse me, my allergies are starting to act up a little no bit. Worries. Um, that that's the meat and potatoes of of game design. I mean, that's that's the fun. You know, that's the challenge is to take you know concepts and and existing characters. And put them into a game that really captures that property's essence and, and just really sings and is a blast to play. Oh, that's really cool. Now, you, there was a, you mentioned before how there's a big problem with certain intellectual properties that everyone kind of wants to be the guy. I think Robotech is especially unique for that, for the fact that within the property alone, you have so many very distinct characters that allow you, that you don't necessarily have to be the main character because I've, some of the most favorite characters in Robotech were not the lead character. It was guys like Max and Roy who really got to shine among fans. Was that one of the reasons why you picked it out for a system originally back in the day? Uh, actually, there are a lot of reasons. And Robotech is a great example of a IP that is perfect for role-playing because it has a very rich world. Um, it's got... Obviously, there's major conflict with alien invaders and mm-hmm. trying to protect our world and, and you know the Earth and everything, and so so it's dynamic to begin with. You got these uh, great kick-ass giant transformable robots and battleoids that you know anyone's going to want to play. Jump into you know any of the, the mecha in in uh, Robotech. So so yeah, it's got everything you, you want. So there was certainly. Uh, a major consideration when we went it, uh, went for it. Um, but you know, the big thing was I, I watched a TV show and I just went wild over it. I, I loved everything was, that was there. I loved the story. And yeah, there was just so much diversity and so much for players that it was one of those, Oh my gosh, I've got to have this. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, there was one thing I was, well, there's, I got a couple more questions about the RPG Tactics Kickstarter. You sure. sort of answered one of them already, which was how close does the RPG Tactics rule system follow, uh, the original Rifts and Robotech rule system? Um, you kind of already touched on that a little bit before. So is it, cause I went through like all the Kickstarter promotional videos I could find in a lot of the YouTube videos that you guys had done for promotion. And there was a little bit of a mentioning that there was going to be a bit of a crossover in the rule system, but not a heavy one because of course you're using damage boxes and things like that. Will it be that situation where people can just as easily jump from one to another? Or did you really want to differentiate the two products? Oh, it was really a matter of what was best for the product. Mm -hmm. And, and Robotech RPG tactics 
is one of those unique um, games where when we sat down to think about who our audience was, we, we felt we had three distinct audiences. Mm-hmm. You had war gamers, you had the role players, and you had Robotech fans who don't necessarily play any kind of game. Mm-hmm. And it was like, how do we create a product that would not only appeal to, but satisfy those three distinct markets? Um, so, so there, there's, we really, we really created a set of rules that, that worked as, um, technical game rules. Mm-hmm. There are some similarities in the sense that you have MDC for, for mega damage capacity and MD for mega damage and some of the, uh, other terms are, are kind of similar to the role playing games. So, so that if role players pick up this game and I hope they do because it's, it's fun as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be a little bit of familiarity there. However, um, we needed to create a great tactical game. Mm-hmm. So we weren't trying to translate the role-playing game into a tactical game. We were trying to create a great tactical game based on the original Robotech material. Okay. And then there were some elements you know, drawn in there. Um, a lot of the more specific role-playing things, in fact, it's funny you mentioned that because mm-hmm. I've been working on that the last couple of days, <laughs> uh, the, final, the final rewrites. Um, we uh, There's a section in the RPG Tactics game that talk about how you can blend the two mediums if you want to. And obviously, hardcore role-players aren't going to want to... to, to play anything that resembles a war game and, and war gamers don't give a hoot about role playing. Um, but for those who are, are open to um, the idea of blending the games, we, we do present some guidelines on how you can incorporate certain things, even if it's you're, you're playing a pretty hard and fast tactical war game. Um, if the group, your playing group is open to it, you know, can you negotiate with the enemy or with other factions or, you know, if it's sort of a free-for-all kind of game, can you, um, you know, talk out alliances and things where, okay, I want to attack you if you attack him. And, you know, it could be those kind of fun things. But those are all so, sort of optional add-on things. Um, our goal with uh, Robotech RPG Tactics was to create a fast-paced, fun tabletop game that captured uh, Robotech. Alright. Now, there was one thing I had noticed immediately right from your Kickstarter, because I was, when when I first heard about it through word of mouth, uh, the th- I was surprised that someone had been, de- was developing a Robotech RPG, because the big, the most recognizable and iconical thing about Ro- Robotech is the transformable fighters. And I thought to myself, there's no way realistically that you guys could have that in a miniatures game because of the innate nature of miniatures. But sure enough, you have that. You have, you are giving your players effectively three different miniatures for each of the different forms of the, the Valkyrie fighters. Um, what, like, I, I, I can't, sorry, I can't go through this interview without mentioning that because I've rarely ever seen, uh, I've seen so many different builds and so many different designs for war games. I've never seen, uh, an, uh, a war game that offered that option. Was that a hard decision to make, or did you guys think it was going to be feasible at all? 
Well, the decision to do it was easy. Um, making it work <laughs> was the hard part. Mike. Yeah. Um, and that was tricky because we had to make each of the different modes of transformation um, fun and worth playing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, how do you divide that up? And again, Robotech is, is a cool property for that because there are so many unique and distinct capabilities of, of the various um, three types of transformations. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was tricky. I mean, how do you do what and, in 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 what attribute should be emphasized in, in battleoid versus guardian mode versus, you know, jet fighter mode. And then, yeah, it became a question of how do we present that on, on the board too. Um, and I think it helped that everyone pretty much, uh, including the, uh, ninja division guys, um, were, were we were all, every one of us were, were fans of Robotech. Uh, in fact, the Ninja Division guys had, had played my Robotech RPGs in, in the 80s and 90s and um, were familiar with it, and they were familiar with the TV show, and we all were dedicated to capturing Robotech. So, uh, yeah, we, there were, believe me, there are lots of debates about how this should work or how that should work and which weapon systems are available and are missiles available in Battleoid or do you have to drop your missile load before you turn into Battleoid or can you keep your missiles? That was a huge debate. Um, so yeah, that, that was the tricky and again, challenging fun part, mm-hmm. uh, from, from a game design point of view is how do you make it work? In fact, there was one point with, with one of my guys who w- had a huge, huge role in designing the rules, uh, Carmen Belair, along with Ninja Division's, uh, David Freeman. And, and at one point, Carmen was like, well, you know, this is impossible. And I'm like, no, no, nothing's impossible. <laughs> We just haven't figured out how to do it yet uh, or to make it feel right or make it feel plausible. Um, and that's always the trick is not, don't never limit, don't, don't ever limit yourself and say, well, this is impossible or this can't possibly work. Um, you want to think that's the challenge of a good game designer is, okay, how do we make this work or how do we incorporate and capture the feel of what we're trying to do or what we're trying to simulate. Um, so I think we did a pretty good job at that. Uh, I think people are going to love the, the Valkyries and, uh, I think they're going to love it all, actually. I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's good. But again, game design is, is so personal. You know, we had a gazillion play testers. Uh, in fact, someone was telling me it, it might be one of the largest playtest groups ever assembled. I think when it dust cleared, it was 150 or more mm-hmm. people playtest wow. the game. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you get small groups who are in general agreement with what works and what they like. And then, you know, you've got 100 playtesters. You're going to have 100 different opinions on all kinds of things. So, you know, we had to sit back and, and ultimately then decide, you know, what's the most valid, what do we think the game needs most. Uh, you know, one of the tricky parts is deciding how much detail do you put in in those simulations. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the original game set of rules we're good and fast because fast is one of the things we wanted to capture. Uh, a lot of war games are, are kind of slow and plotting in the Robotech anime series. Um, come on, it's jet fighters. And, yeah. And it, so, I mean, it's, it's fast as all get out. 
So, so we wanted to capture, you know, that, that sense of speed and power as well as, you know, the slower destroids and, and some of the Centrati mecha and foot soldiers and things. So I was trying to find that, that blended stuff, but we wanted fast. So the initial rules were, were fast and simple, but they were, they were too simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in fact, I, one of my early conversations was, well, what is the audience we're, we're shooting for? Cause if we're looking for youngsters, this is a great game. Mm-hmm. And when I say youngsters, I mean, you know, 10 to 15. Yeah. Um, it's a, it, would, it was a great set of introductory rules. Mm-hmm. But if we're looking for, you know, the older role-playing and wargaming audience, these are definitely not the rules to go with. Mm-hmm. And then it boils down to a bunch of stuff we talk to. You know, what must be in these? What When we think Robotech, what do we expect as fans ourselves? What do we expect to see in this game? Um, you know, the Valkyrie should be fast. The Valkyrie should be able to transform. Each mode of, of transformation should have some unique capability or why the heck else would you transform into it? Um, how do you translate into the games? How do you, uh, another big issue was the Zentradi. And, and if it's, if it's like a, a horde, how many Zentradi versus a single Valkyrie or Destroid? And in all the number crunching, I, I, I don't envy Dave Friedman and, and Carmen who did, um, you know, all the heavy lifting when it came to the numbers crunching and figuring out values, point values and all that jazz. Um, but uh, I think we did it, man. It's I, I, it's certainly Robotech. <laughs> when are you expecting it to come out? We are we are publicly telling everyone November or December. We are hoping to get the Kickstarter pledge items in by October mm-hmm. and get all the Kickstarter stuff out as quick as we can in October and get the retail product into stores sometime in November, but I cannot make any promises. Of course not. Um, now you mentioned before that there's, you feel there's a strong difference between table and wargaming and anyone who knows the difference between like the pen and paper RPG and a, a war game, of course could easily distinguish between the two. How do you feel when you see some, um, uh, a lot of, introductory consumers and especially uh, r- new players who kind of lump them under the same umbrella, especially with fourth edition and its tabletop rules. Like, how do you feel when you kind of see them when you're trying to make such a distinctive product and you see everyone kind of lump them under the same umbrella? Well, I don't really mind it when, when people in conversation uh, lump it all together. It, the reality though is there's quite a difference and there's a quite a difference between role players and, and war gamers. Um, and, and tabletop rules generally are, are, are less complex than either one of those. Um, cause war games are very much simulating combat and, and actual battles played out in, you know, considerable detail mm-hmm. versus say, you know, a game like Risk, which sure, that's a war game simulation and a blast to play. Uh, it's one of my all time favorite games. But, you know, the rules are very simple oh, yeah. compared to any, virtually any war game you want to name and, and certainly any, any role playing game. So, uh, you know, just dealing with that reality. And, and that's where I think we had 
the right team working on this product, especially if you're trying to capture those those three markets of role players, war gamers, and people not familiar with either one of those. Because, you know, as a, as a devoted role player, I would look at these rules and stuff, and I'd go, holy crap. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I don't get it, or why is it worded like that, or how are we going to make this or that work? I, I, I was involved very much in the uh, conceptual aspects of things, saying, okay, we got to simulate this, and here's some ideas how. And then, you know, Dave and Carmen really hammered out you know, how the mechanics would actually work. So, uh, and, and even now, I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a little torn. I think, you know, some people may look at this game and say, wow, I've never played any kind of war game type product. So this looks like Greek to me, but I can learn it. I hope that's, that's the goal. And, you know, war players and, and war gamers don't generally play the same types of games. So in my mind, the question is, have we created something that will appeal to both of those markets and people who have never played a game like this? And I, I hope so. Now, we met up at Anime North, um, which I don't know how big of an event that was for you. I know Gen Con's coming up. What are your big conventions? What are the conventions you're excited to, to go to and bring this product and kind of see how it gets re- uh, re- received and things like that? Well, Gen Con will be the big one. Yeah. Uh, you know, Anime North was, uh, by the way, a super cool convention, and uh, I had heard a lot about it before we ever attended, uh, and it was awesome. It, it's huge. It's basically the, the Gen Con of anime fans. Uh, guys got like, you know, 24,000 people and um, tons of costumes and a great dealer's room and staff, everyone at uh, Anime North were wonderful. They treat their guests like gods. So, uh, you know, it, I had a blast. Uh, and it was nice to be able to introduce our game because Carmen, one of the, the chief game designers uh, of Robotech RBT Tactics, was there and he was running, you know, full-out demos and, and people were loving that. So, so that was cool. But for me, the big game, uh, big the big convention is Gen Con. I mean, that's just the big one for us. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, very much dedicated to role-playing and war games and some related games. So that's that's really the most important convention for us. We'll also be attending uh, uh, a small local convention. I shouldn't say small. You get like four or five, 6,000 people. Yeah, that's not small. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Detroit Fanfare. Mm. I saw compared to Gen Con and, and uh, Anime North. But yeah, very respectable convention that's, that's been growing every year, Detroit Fanfare. And uh, that's the end of October. So we're kind of excited about that because, you know, we're in our hometown. And if we're lucky, we'll actually have the product available to debut at that convention, which would be sweet. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Detroit Fanfare is also on the Harmony Gold tour, convention tour this year. So Harmony Gold will be there and, and some of their people so it, that that's going to be kind of fun and exciting as well. Excellent. Now, I have to ask because I am a huge Robotech fan and I've been reading through some of the RPG supplements and I got to I have to completely ask, is there anything that you've you haven't yet announced for like through the Kickstarter and things like that you, you can tell us on the podcast? <laughs> Just a little spoiler, nothing huge. Just a little something. 
th- that's that's a good leading question, man. Uh, <laughs> let me think about that for a minute, Mike. Um. Well, in the role playing side, something I haven't announced yet is uh, we've got uh, Jim Sorensen who has done some uh, Transformer books writing a Zentradi based source book. Oh wow. Uh yeah, it's gonna be great. And then we've got the two UEF Marine books uh-huh. that come out th- this fall written by Irvin Jackson, who's just an excellent writer. Okay. And we're incorporating I don't think we've announced this yet either, that uh we're incorporating a bunch of the, the designs from the IMA files. Yeah yeah. So that'll be pretty neat, and there'll be alien races and other very cool stuff in those marine books. And then as far as the the miniatures, um, or I should say the the Robotech, RPG Tactic game pieces, we want to do everything. And it's funny, I I think Robotech fans are are too afraid to to get their hopes up. Um, When I say everything, I, I mean, we want to do every mecha design that, 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 that ever came out, even if it only appeared for like five seconds. Oh, cool. Yeah. Because again, we're, Mike, we're big role playing fans. Of course. Fans. We want this stuff so we can play with it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So if we have the power to make them, gosh darn it, we're going to make them. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Well, Kevin, I hate to say it, but I'm a little bit out of time. I hope I can come back to you in the future if I've got more questions for you. Absolutely. And I hope if you have any future announcements, I hope you consider us first for any additional stuff. Oh, definitely. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much for your time, Kevin. You have a great evening. You too. And that was us from These Warriors Are Terrible. (laughs) I'm Big Mike, and thank you very much for tuning in. You have just listened to This Week in Geeks. These warriors are terrible. Did our terrible warriors succeed in saving the day? Did someone do something completely insane and stun the GM into a stupefied silence? And lastly, did someone get punched square in the goodie bags? Also, are there any settings or RPG systems you'd like the terrible warriors to visit? Do you have your own shameful, awesome, or just plain silly RPG adventures? Tell us with a comment on this episode post, or email us at feedback at thisweekingeek.net. Until next time, geeks and gamers, the dice has been put away, the books back on the shelf, and the Cheetos stuck to the floor. For these warriors are terrible!